question, what might pop into your head? For me, this is the first thing I think of, if you can see those pictures. Um, Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Um, we lived in Texas when Fixer Upper was becoming popular, and first of all, I just want to be best friends with them because they're amazing. And so right now, we're actually in the market of, getting, of buying our first house, and I feel really bad for my husband because no matter what the house looks like, I'm like, shiplap, I want all the things. <laughs> um, so that's exciting. <laughs> but something about, you know, Fixer Upper, and not just Fixer Upper, but really all HGTV. I just am obsessed with it, and I love it, and I think our whole country does. We love this idea of seeing transformation happen, of um, seeing something that's broken and rotting and gross and dead be completely brought to a new life and be transformed. Last week, Paul explained why the resurrection of Jesus is so vital to our faith, um, and this section, he continues on talking about um, the resurrection for us in the future. So if we look at verse 50, chapter 15, jump at verse 50, Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. So he starts explaining how when Jesus returns at this end, whether you're asleep, like whether people have died already, or whether you're still alive, that in this twinkling of an eye, this mysterious moment, our bodies are going to be changed. Um, in commentaries that I read in preparing for this, they, they explained it as that not simply that our body um, is just like wearing the wrong things, like not, it's not simply that you, say you show up um, for a work event and you're in, like everyone's in suit and ties and you are the only person in like holy, dirty, ratty jeans, right? It's not just that you are wearing something wrong, but that we are like literally made of the wrong stuff. Um, N.T. Wright said, at the moment, we are people made of corruptible, decaying material. We need to be transformed into non-corruptible, undecaying material so that we become people over whom death has no more control. Just like those Magnolia homes will be transformed when we're resurrected and when Jesus comes back, um, our bodies are going to be literally transformed. Paul goes on in verse 54 and says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So death sucks. I don't know if you know. Um, and if you've ever lost anyone that you love or someone who has been really close to you, you know, you don't have to think long or hard to recall and remember that pain of losing them. And this is because we weren't made to experience this death, right? Like in the beginning, that wasn't his plan. Um, it wasn't as God intended it to be. So here in these verses, Paul is mocking 
death and Satan in a way because he knows that because Jesus was resurrected, he knows how our story is going to end too. And because of that, we have this, um, this confidence as well. If we could fully understand the depth of this, it would allow us to put our life and our struggles and our joys into this idea of um, what I kind of called like a resurrection perspective. Um, that because of Jesus's resurrection in our future, resurrection and transformation, um, Tim Keller says, we can be glad in our successes, but not overly glad. We can be sad about our shortcomings, but not overly sad. We would have this, this mentality that no matter how good or bad things currently are, that there's better things that are to come when all is going to be perfect and right as God intended it to be. So continue in chapter 15 at 56. Paul goes on and says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that we have this victory at the end when we have eternal life. Um, and thanks be to God for that. But I don't know about you. Sometimes that feels like too far away. Like we think, yeah, eventually things are going to be perfect. Um, but it doesn't take much for us to feel maybe hopeless because we look around and we see all the sin and we see all the brokenness. And that might be from maybe wounds you have from being hurt by other people, um, ways that we have hurt others, um, found in sin that we might regret being a part of or like addiction that has had a hold on us and in current sin and struggle that even even if we're saved um, and walking with God, we're still going to struggle and we're still going to have this sin. And that can make us feel hopeless. Um, this victory that Jesus, that Paul is talking about, you know, is definitely for the future and when we will be transformed, but it's also most certainly for our current present struggles. In John 10.10, Jesus explains um, that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So I took all of this and just thinking like, am I and are we, are you living this full abundant life that Jesus was describing? This is where I can struggle. I know personally, it's, you know, maybe hard and easy at the same time to think that, like, victory will come in the future. We're going to have that freedom, that healing, whatever we're looking for. Um, but right now, we're just stuck, or we're just in this pattern, or there's just no hope. And for me, the struggle has looked like, um, you know, just this fight against my body. When I was younger, well, pretty much all my life, I guess, I've watched women close to me, um, and people, anyone in the media, just constantly striving to lose weight or be an ideal body size. And so I can remember being, you know, fourth grade, nine or 10, and going on a diet because I felt that I was fat or that I just didn't like how I looked. Um, as I grew up, this, this obsession with my body grew as well. And just too much time was spent worrying about what I ate, how much I exercised, what I look like. And I know I'm talking to a group of women, so I'm sure most of you can relate. And um, luckily, I mean, and by God's grace, really, in college, I studied nutrition. And in a class, in, in my first nutrition class, 
was literally I had this moment of like learning about like the statistics of dieting and weight loss and like how 95% of women um, or anyone, 95% of people who lose weight gain it back and how this yo-yo dieting is so unhealthy for our bodies and all this stuff. And that's, that has just been always normal. But in that moment, it was like this, whoa, that's not normal. That's not how we're supposed to live. And thankfully, that really helped to change um, my thought process and how I treat and feel my body. But the, the struggle has always been there still. Um, after having kids, this blew up, I think, a little bit more. We were... Um, we were living in a new state. I had had my second kiddo. Um, my husband was in residency, um, training for medical, for his medical residency. And so he was working like 80 plus hours a week, all this stuff. So all this combined just kind of led to this, um, this perfect storm of being able to consistently use food as a coping mechanism. So it started as like going and eating a, a special treat when my babies were napping or asleep and no one else was there, really turned into like binge eating disorder, where I would eat an exceptionally large amount of food, uh, like past the point of being having any sort of enjoyment from it and feeling like, ugh, don't want to do that again, but then would continually do it and not knowing why. Um, I desired to be free of this and to have victory, but it just didn't happen. Hiding food, lying about it, shame and guilt became normal parts of my life. I know your struggles and your pains and woundedness are probably not the same as mine. They have seasons and they can ebb and flow, but can we acknowledge that the struggle is there? Um, I read, I heard this song recently, which I've heard before by Matt Carney, and um, I just felt like his lyrics just really hit this struggle. Like, I just really felt like it ooh, resonated with this struggle that we can feel, however it may look in our lives. He says, in his song it says, born and raised under the rain and a western wind, I felt the weight trying to live up to who they say I am. Is it any wonder shame comes calling my first name? Is there any question if I'm the one here left to blame? He goes on and says, I feel like a contender bringing my fist to the pistol war. It's the same fight all over again. It's the same bite breaking on my skin. We often feel that whatever we're struggling with, that we're never going to have victory or freedom in it. Or maybe that because we're still struggling with that same thing, that we, we can't be free of it or we can't have victory because, um, because God's so annoyed <laughs> of, of how I'm still messing up. But that's not true. And that is not what God has for us. Um, you know, how can we believe that when Jesus comes, we're going to have victory and freedom, but not believe or act or live like we have this victory today? And the Bible says clearly that um, the power that Christ had to resurrect from the dead, that we have that power living in us. So I really camped on this thought of like, you know, this tension that we might be in. Um, these last few months because really selfishly, I wanted an answer, like how do I live this out? And then how can I bring these answers to you guys? <laughs> what can we do to achieve this victory? You know, I wanted this formula or to have a wand to wave for all of you guys to do as well. 
but I never found it, unfortunately. Um, but God did bring a few things to mind that I feel like are really important and integral parts for us to live out this freedom and this victory that he gives us in our lives today. So that first, the first thing that I feel like he wants us to know and to do is to know who we are. In Romans 6.22, it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. I love in these verses that it says, you have been set free. If we are in a relationship with the Lord, we know him, we've accepted him, even if you don't feel close to him, you have been set free. And that is a beautiful thought that we can at least a place where we can begin to know that I don't have to live in any struggle that I'm continually in because the truth is that it's already been paid for. We already have access to this freedom. And then in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Maybe the things that we tell ourselves that we're failing at are pure lies. Maybe, maybe God doesn't see us the way that we see ourselves. He's not keeping tabs of all of our rights or wrongs, and when he looks at us, he just sees Jesus. The second thing that he brought to my mind was this idea of using rest as a weapon. In Exodus 14, 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. In my version, it says you need only to be silent. And it's just so funny because I'm like, how? I can't do that. I'm not good at being silent. And most people I know would say the same thing. It's so countercultural. Um, for us to think of silence and like resting and being slow um, as a good thing. But the Bible talks about it in this way. Um, when we can stop and truly, you know, pray and definitely like present our requests to God, but also leave that space um, to hear from him and to let him work, powerful things can really happen. Um, we, my husband and I, we are foster parents and foster care can be really frustrating at times. But one clear example of this in my life has been, um, you know, the first few weeks you get a foster kiddo, it is challenging for several reasons. But this one time, last year we had a, a little guy, and when we got him, the first week was just spent back and forth with, like, insurance companies and doctor's offices because per regulations, any new kiddo that you get has to be seen by a physician within so many hours of them coming into your home. So I'm on the phone with insurance and they're like, oh yes, this is his insurance. He can go to these doctor's offices. And then you call the doctor's office and they run his medical card and they say, oh no, no, we can't see him. And this back and forth constantly. So annoying and frustrating if you've ever been on that side. Um, so this all like came to a head uh, this terrible week when um, this one day, and it, it was the height of this 
of this issue, um, it involved me having to drive over two hours with three children in my car who were four, almost two and 10 months old. It involved pouring down rain and lots and lots of puke. Too much puke. I know, it was not fun. Um, so after I had settled down at the end of this day, calming down, you know, had told my husband about it, all this stuff, I was about to go to bed, I get a text message from the county being like, you know how you just had to do this drive and it was awful and you're having trouble with medical care? Well, he needs to be seen and you need to drive him back up here again tomorrow. And I'm like, no, no, I cannot do this. And I just like, I lost it. Like the silliest thing, I was in tears, weeping, crying. And literally like at this point of like, God, you need to fix this because I am not doing this drive again. I am not doing this puke again. Cannot handle it. So I went to bed, woke up the next morning, and just felt like, just call that doctor's office again that you've been trying to reach out to. Call him again. So I call him. It's a big medical facility, so you never get the same person um, a second time. So I you know, tell him the situation. Hey, here's this Medi-Cal card. Can you run it? They run it. Yeah, he can be seen today. What? What are you talking about? You told me... That is Medi-Cal, that you don't accept it. Well, they must have put in the wrong number or something. It's fine. We have a 9 o'clock appointment. You want to come? I'm like, praise Jesus. Like, it was the best. Like, literal, this is one of the few times where I can say, like, couldn't do it on my own. Gave a request to the Lord, and within hours, solved. <laughs> just, just this powerful um, picture of how God can and will fight for us. And the last important thing that I felt God was telling us that we need um, to access this freedom and victory is community. We need we. Community is essential to gain victory in any part of our life. My struggle with binge eating has only gotten better because I chose to bring people into that struggle with me. And not only like my husband or like other godly women around me, but also like counselors and therapists. And that is good and right. Um, in Ephesians 5... Starting at verse 11, it says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Just this idea that when we can present our problems, our struggles, our issues, like with other people, as soon as, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you share something, and just the action of like not having it be kept inside you anymore, like is so freeing. So being able to do that in a, in a Christian, godly environment is even more helpful. Um, I was a part of a women's supper club a couple weeks ago where um, a bunch of us ladies got together and got to have a meal with no children, and it was amazing. And they had, like, intentional table topics that we could, we were supposed to discuss um, related to, like, how we're doing and our relationship with God and whatnot. And one of, the, one of our friends who was there, she started sharing how just these last two years of her life have been a huge struggle, and, you know, she was met with diagnoses for herself and for her child that she never wanted um, and didn't appreciate having, to put it lightly. Um, and she was explaining how her relationship with God has just been so distant and stagnant that every time she would try and 
have like quiet time with him or um, express any of her pain or frustration. She just felt this, um, she just literally felt words that would come to her of, you deserve this, this is your fault, and like, I don't hear you pretty much is what she heard and it was, um, it was so sad to see her in this place. And so all of us women, you know, were like trying to build her up and um, tell her the truth and whatnot. And it wasn't until one of the ladies at our table, she stopped and she said, I just wanna like put this out there that those things that you heard, those are not from God. And he does not feel that way about you. And like as soon as this friend said that and like brought that out to the, you know, actually spoke those words, you could like feel the weight lifted from our friend and we were able to surround her and pray for her and like cry out to her for God and um, to God for her on her behalf when she couldn't do it herself. And it was one of the most powerful experiences I've had like in a corporate prayer time with other believers. So that is just really encouraging of how vital community can be. But unfortunately, we're still living in this in-between time. We know that victory will be full when Jesus returns and we're resurrected, but the struggle doesn't mean that the struggle is necessarily just going to disappear. Um, a few weeks ago, Jackson gave a sermon on Lazarus. I don't know if any of you heard it. If you haven't, you should listen to it. It's so good. But he's talking about... Um, you know, Lazarus was a super good friend of Jesus, and he was sick and close to dying. And so a messenger comes to Jesus and says, your friend is going to die when we don't understand. And, but Jesus says, sweet, I'll be there soon. And his friend is like, you know, you would think that they would be like very upset. Why aren't you coming sooner? You know, this isn't our timing. You need to be here now. So Jesus eventually gets to Lazarus in his home, but he has already died. And his sisters come up to Jesus and Mary and Martha, and each of them, they basically say the same thing of, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. And I feel like I can relate to that, and especially in this issue of, you know, feeling like we're stuck in our struggles or our sin or um, whatever's around us, of feeling like, Jesus, you can do this, like you can fix this, you know, like we're his cheerleaders, like, come on, you got this, let's go. Um, but he doesn't always work that way. And in that moment, I think of like when Mary and Martha came to Jesus and said that, he could have at that moment said, it's okay, don't worry about it, I'm gonna bring him back. You don't need to be worried, like don't stress about this, like do you know who I am? Like all these things he could have said, but he didn't, he just cried with them. And I feel like that's, um, Jackson said this phrase that just has stuck with me, um, that we care so much about our problems, but Jesus cares about his people. And I feel like that is so true related to this, um, this topic as well. Sometimes we, can, we see healing and freedom and victory happen immediately, and that's amazing. And God can and does do that. But more often than not, and what has been true in my own life is that this healing, this freedom, and this victory is gained by walking with Jesus in the struggle and while the struggle is still present. We have to live life in this tension of hope for the someday, yet being aware that his power, that his power is available and ready for us today. 
if we can believe who God says that we are, rest and listen to his voice, and lean into the community of God's church. Paul ends this section of verses kind of leading us in this same way. He says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let us pray together. God, we just thank you so much for this time that we could come together.